Thank you. He is right. My name is Brian. You guys have a name tag. You guys would know that. Um, I like spending time with my family, uh, my daughter and my wife. Um, I like hunting, fixing things, eating food, and collecting coffee mugs, oddly enough. Um, and above all these, I love and pursue Jesus. And that is true. And because of that fact, I'm excited to be able to speak to you guys and steal one of Bob's sermons um, and talk to you guys from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. All right, so uh, let, us, let us pray and uh, focus and get started. Lord, we do love you. We come here to worship you, uh, learn more about you, and also edify each other. And Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be guided by your spirit and that um, I would be clear and concise. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this passage, you can start turning in your Bibles to the passage. My theory with youth group and Sunday morning Sunday school is that um, if it's dark in the room, I do a PowerPoint with the verses. If it's light in the room, you guys get to use your Bibles because what I'm going to be saying is right in there. So go and open your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be going over verses 1 through 9. But before we jump into this uh, passage, um, as I studied it, I found that we, we need to make sure and cover the context, because without the context of this passage, we are in a little bit of danger of possibly misinterpreting this. And so um, the verses preceding this, right before it, um, is in chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Um, the over... The overtone to this passage is very positive. One in chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Very positive. It says, um, for us to be kind and gentle and patient while having the right words lovingly correct sin so that they can um, receive repentance and escape the snare of the devil. Very positive. There's hope. And, uh, and then our passage. Um, well, let's read that one first. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, Patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, so it's kind of positive um, from there. And then our passage starts out, But understand this, in these last days there will be times of difficulty. What a difference. And um, some of you guys, by the middle of this, might be like, I can't wait for Brian to preach, never. Because it is so, like, it is very overwhelming. As we list, you'll see that we list 18 characteristics and different sins to start off. Um, so it's going to be a tough passage, maybe, for some of us to deal with. But um, I think that we can handle it. So before we read our passage, I know that there are some overachievers in the room. Okay? And for you, I'm going to give you some little hints of things to be looking for as we read that we'll flush out later. So for you overachievers, the rest of you can check out. <laughs> we will see a comparison of one who struggles with sin and repents of it, and one who embodies sin and is unrepentant. Um, we'll see what sin can entangle us, and we'll see a common cause that can cause us to be easily entangled in sin. So with that, you guys can read ahead, but the rest of us will read all together. Here's the passage. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents. I'm a new dad. I'm, I'm just paving the way. Okay. Ungrateful, unholy. We're only halfway through at this point. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never arriving at the knowledge of truth. But just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their faith. But they will not get far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. Okay, that is a big passage. There's a huge list and a couple different levels of things. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to outline it. Um, in a sense, because that's how we'll end up unpacking this, is these six things. It opens with a warning, okay? There's tough times coming. Some of you guys say, I'm in the middle of it. It's happening right now. Tough times will come because, and then Paul lists 18 characteristics of what people will be embodying causing these tough times. Then it says to avoid these people. And then there's an illustration of how cowardly these people are. There's a biblical example of this happening, and then it says they will not get far. So, Since this passage is structured around these 18 characteristics, um, I'm going to go ahead and unpack some of them. Some are very common to us, and others may be um, a little hard to understand in context. There's a couple I had to look up to even make sense of. So um, let's start with the first one, lovers of self. Okay, Um, On average, we Americans watch four hours of TV a day. Some of you guys are like, it's March Madness. That's easy. (laughs) But that is 28 hours a week, 112 hours a month, and a grand total of 1,344 hours a year of TV. Okay, I still have those bunny ear things with the digital converter box that requires four remotes to change the channel. Okay, and I still, at times, probably get close to four hours a day. Some of these season finales are three hours. 30% of that 1,344 hours, which is 403 hours a year, is advertising things to make us cooler, better, sexier, stronger, and richer. So obviously, not all these things that are advertised are bad for us or sinful. But what it shows is that somebody knows America. And they know that we have a tendency to be very focused on ourselves and love ourselves and what's best for me. Okay, The second one, lovers of money. Okay, um, I have a big section on this because I couldn't help myself because this is a big thing. Uh, We all have a tendency to probably struggle with at one point or another. Um, Just today, um, it was requested that I tell this analogy or this illustration um, of this, so I will. Um, I definitely had a point in my life um, and still struggle with the money thing, to be honest. Um, But there was a point when I was younger, I remember the day my parents said, I asked them if I could buy, it's a Talkboy pen, you push a button and it records, and it was really cool. And I asked them if I could buy that. And I remember the day they said, well, whatever money you earn is yours. You can spend it on whatever you want. 
there is going to be Laffy Taffy everywhere. I was really excited about this. And I remember the day they said that. And so I just thought, oh my goodness, I could save up. I make $10 a day. That's $70 a week. And I go through this math and um, I set my eyes on a go-kart. Okay. Okay. So I'm shopping around. I'm saving up. There's things I'm refusing to buy because I want this go-kart. Nobody was getting my money. And to be honest, the church wasn't getting my money at that time either, sadly to say. I was hoarding this money. My parents were like, make sure you tithe. Here's a quarter. Because I wanted this go-kart, and I tell you what, that was a time where I loved money, man. And uh, I remember I found the go-kart I wanted. My dad and I jumped in the truck. We're going to go pick this thing up. We get there, and this goofball who listed it forgot to say that it didn't run. But I said, load it up. <laughs> I'm taking it home. I am so excited about this. It was completely reckless of me. And my dad's like, you know it doesn't run, right, Brian? But uh, there's a time where uh, I'm trying to fix it. I like fixing things. I said that in the beginning. And... Um, my brother and I found out that if we lifted the back end up and then hit the gas, it would go. And so I said, Charlie, set it down. I'm going to get in it. You pick it up. I'll hit the gas. You drop it, and we'll take off. And uh, we didn't know if it would work, but I tell you what, it worked. We ended up in the sticker bushes across the driveway and then out of the sticker bushes around the backyard. And my heart was going about how I was when Bob was introducing me. It's like, Pounding, pounding, pounding. I was so excited. And uh, I was very protective over it, too. I didn't want other people to drive it um, because they could wreck it. And then I did let somebody drive it. And this is the story I got that it rolled across a driveway and hit a post. And the steel frame was bent in. Okay? I'm like, yeah, okay. It ran into a post. But I remember one time I wrecked it. I was driving, and the front end's really light, so it doesn't steer that well when you're going fast in gravel. And I ran into a tree really fast. And it has a seatbelt. And I hit it, and it, like, jerked me forward, and I thought I'd, like, broke my spine or something because my legs, I didn't think they could move. And so I get out, and I'm kind of panicked. i got to get to the house, and I start crawling to the house through the grass. I'm going, I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. I can never walk again, you know, and then I kind of realize I'm pushing with my legs. <laughs> oh. So I got up and then walked to the house, and my parents aren't here, and I don't even think they know that, okay? But anyways, that was a scary time. But it more realistic illustration maybe for us is imagine if we invited um, a guy from a third world country to come live with us for a couple days. Okay, uh, he shows up with probably his one bag, and it's not just the shoes. That's everything he brought. And he walks in, and it's, you know, it's that cold day because it snowed in March for some reason. And uh, so the heat kind of hits him as he comes in. He's like, wow, you have heat inside your house. And you're like, well, yeah, it's controlled by this little box thing. I don't like it to fluctuate more than three degrees. Wow, okay. He goes and you go and you're going to show him, show him his room. And you show him, well, this is where I'll be. And he kind of goes in there and starts setting up his stuff. You're like, no, no, no. We don't sleep in the same room. You got your own room. Your own room. Wow. Then he goes downstairs and you're sitting down there, um, you know, playing with knickknacks and paddywhacks. And then uh, you see him over in the kitchen. You're like, do, do you need something? He's like, well, what's the big cold box for? That's well, a refrigerator. It's packed full of food. And I even have a frozen section in my house. Or I keep things that I can store for years and eat later. Wow, that is huge. Think about that. Like even when I was going through this, I'm just, wow. The majority of us are rich to someone. Okay, and then you invite them in. Well, you want to watch some TV or something? Oh, I don't, okay. And you turn on, wow, your paintings talk. That's amazing. We have TVs more than we can reach sometimes. It's amazing. Like we are rich. We're spending this money on this. We're rich to someone. Okay, and then, uh, you know, you ask him if you want a pizza. You explain what a pizza is. Like, oh, we don't have to get up and go get it. 
I'm not going to leave my house to get a pizza. I'm going to pay somebody to drop off freshly made pizza. Wow. And I just think that sometimes we forget that we, the majority of us here, if we drove here in a car or got a ride with somebody in a car or are wearing some decent clothes that don't have holes, we're rich to someone. We have money. We all have money. Do you love it? Okay, number three. This is going to be long. We're going to be here for a while, people. <laughs> Proud, arrogant, abusive. Now, when I saw abusive, one thing that gets me riled up is when I see um, physical abuse and domestic violence. Um, it drives me up the wall, and I saw this, and I so badly wanted to take it out of context and be able to reveal um, what cowards people are who abuse God's daughters. But after studying it, that's not what this word is referring to, so we'll leave that for later. The word is speaking directly to people who are harsh, denigrating and demeaning, and they use those words towards other people and even God. They're consistently putting people down out of love for themselves in order to make themselves feel elevated and better about themselves. Disobedient to their parents. Okay, I'm not going to explain that one because I did you guys a favor. Wednesday night, I harped on that one. Okay, So they get it. We, we, we get it. So we're going to move on. Ungrateful, but this one I will attack. Okay, These people who are, are utterly destitute of any gratitude towards God or others. And if you parents have ever had a conversation that ends with, I put food in your belly, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, um, that is when you usually have a feeling of your children being ungrateful. And uh, so that is um, an illustration of ungrateful for you. Unholy, heartless, and unappeasable. Now this one I had to look up because I didn't understand how unappeasable worked in here exactly. Um, So I think I'll make it fairly clear by this. These people refuse all opportunity to reconcile. The feuds never end. Okay. Now I may or may not have watched a minimum of one episode of The Bachelor this year. Okay. And if you don't know what The Bachelor is, you're lucky. It is a waste of your life because it is just a mess of people doing things that aren't even natural. It's weird. And, uh, but within the minimum of one episode I watched, there was a girl, I can't remember, Emily, okay? Her name was Emily. And she um, said some things about another girl. And I know that happens never in our lives, actually. But uh, she said something kind of mean about another girl to somebody else, and she found out about it. And she was very angry, okay? And this girl's name was Courtney. You may see her in the tabloids at Winco or whatever. It's all over. It was a terrible disaster. This girl goes up to this girl, Courtney, and says, you know what? I shouldn't have done that and apologized and did a good job of apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And she almost cut this girl off and said, once you cross me, I never forget. And that is unappeasable. That is the definition used here for unappeasable. Okay? Eleven, slanderous. That's a.k.a. gossip. Okay? Twelve, without self-control. Thirteen, brutal. Fourteen, not loving good. Fifteen, treacherous. This is another one I wasn't really sure about, so I looked up. This literally means to betray or give away. So these people betray another's trust or confidence. Um, Reckless. These people dive headfirst without forethought or caution or deliberation. Um, In effect, they do not take into consideration the people around them um, or the possibility of the consequences to themselves. Um, I know a guy who dove headfirst into a three-foot concrete hot tub. And we took him to the hospital. 
There was no forethought. Um, it was very reckless in a sense. And um, it was, it's on YouTube if you want to watch it. Uh, 17, conceited. 18, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is a huge one. This uh, line here speaks specifically to people who are completely abandoned to sensual pleasure, but not limited to sensual pleasure. So here's a sobering thought. Statistically, for churchgoers, 47 to 52% of the men in this room have struggled with this in the last six months, searching for things on the internet. It's a battle for the majority of men, and what makes you a man is fighting it. Um, I obviously, with the people I tend to work with a lot, deal with this a lot. And it is a battle. And it is everywhere. It is one click away. And uh, what makes a man in this scenario is fighting this. And it is a battle. So, that's the 18, okay? The passage is structured around that. Hopefully we have a grasp on that a little bit. But here is what I see could possibly happen at this point. Um, You're looking at that and you're like, wow. Um, I struggle with a couple of these, and I read ahead because I'm an overachiever. And it says to avoid these people, that they won't get far, and they're cowards who sneak into houses. So let me make a differentiation, okay? There's man one. Man one, number one, we're going to differentiate between man and two. Man one and man two. Um, struggles with sin. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts his heart, and he repents of sin. And when he uh, is unable to see his own sin, and a loving brother comes up and corrects him, he responds to it with repentance. Okay, that is man number one. So if you're here and you see these things, you're like, man, I struggle with a couple of those. If you're constantly repenting of that and turning away from it and getting caught up every now and again and still repenting from it, um, you are not what this passage is talking about. This is man number two. Man number two embodies many or all of these characteristics. He desires no re- repentance. He enjoys loving himself. He is like a car swerving haphazardly between the lanes, taking out whatever is in front of him. He has no concern for anything except for himself. He leads people away from God, especially the weak. He rips apart the people in the church. He mocks the God that we worship. And yes, this man we avoid. Because what kind of Christian fellowship could I possibly have with a self-serving, unrepentant man who mocks the self-sacrificing Jesus I love, worship, and pursue? He has made it impossible for me to intentionally include him in my normative circles of relationship. And yes, I avoid this man. Okay, that's man number two. Okay, so now that we have that differentiation, I don't want anybody getting caught up in that and losing the uh, point of this message. So after it lists those 18 things and talks about man number two, it gives an illustration of man number two and how cowardly he is with a very practical illustration of what these people can do sometimes. Okay, it says that, um, we can read it here. It says that, um, sorry, let me find it. They're a kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So what this is saying, it's not saying, oh, by the way, women are weak. That's not the point of this. What it's saying is these men are so cowardly They sneak into families' houses, and they not only take advantage of women, but they're taking advantage of women. We instinctively protect women. Um, ABC does a show called What Would You Do? It airs on Friday nights. Um, I watch it. It's really interesting to see how people react to different scenarios. What they did is they put domestic violence, a man being aggressive with a woman, in a park. 
And they tried to see if people would intervene. And I tell you what, there were women in there ready to fight. They were like pushing people aside and, and pushing the man away, willing to get themselves injured in order to protect a fellow female, okay? And then there were men who they had to break up because this guy was about to pummel this other guy talking about domestic violence. But you know, he was trying to separate. He was protecting them. And just like in this day, we protect women. Um, it's a kind of an instinctive thing. Um, in that day, they did also. So it's saying they even take capture of women, but not only women, but weak women, and not because they are weak in general, but ones who are burdened with sin. And I know I can identify with the burden with sin side. You get into this place where sin is weighing down on you, and you don't want to pray or talk to Jesus about your sins, because you're just embarrassed that you keep falling into the same thing, or you're embarrassed that you actually did that, or you feel you don't deserve forgiveness. And that's not the gospel, but that's how we feel. And these men will see women like this, and they'll lead them astray. Those are fighting words for me. If there's somebody trying to lead my wife astray, we're going to have a conversation about that. And this is huge. These, these men are sneaking in and leading weak women away who are burdened with sin. And then, even worse, they're teaching them things that aren't the truth. They're leading them away from the truth of the gospel using one of two ways. Oh, one, they say... They go along with what they're feeling like, yeah, you don't deserve forgiveness. Um, You should go um, isolate yourself, uh, remove yourself from any of the necessities of life, and starve yourself, and uh, beat yourself up a little bit, and then we'll talk and see if you deserve forgiveness. The second one is they play into what sometimes we so desperately want to be true, and that it's not actually sin. They say, you know, that's not actually sin. Why would God not want you to do that? That's fun. That's not even a sin. Don't worry about it. Don't ask for forgiveness. You don't need that. Neither of those are the gospel. They're leading people away. Jesus dies for all sins, for all people who believe and follow him. That is the gospel. That is the truth of it, not these other things. Then it goes on. Give a biblical example of when this has happened. Okay, I don't know if I'm saying these names right. I heard Bob say it, so I'm trying to mimic that. Janes and Jambres. That's what we're going with this morning, all right? These are the two guys in Exodus 7 who tried to mimic the uh, miraculous signs God uses Moses to perform, okay? So he goes in, he throws his staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. And then um, these magician guys, they find some twigs and make them turn into snakes. And ta-da, and then Moses' the snake eats their snakes, okay? And then he uh, is able to duplicate the first two plagues, which is the blood and the frogs, Okay, they turn uh, water into blood, and they make a lot of frogs appear. Um, and then they fail. They did not get far, and they did lead people away from the truth, just as man number two does. Okay, so yes, this passage is about man number two. He's a coward. He leads people away from the truth. He embodies many or all of the 18 characteristics you don't see on a PowerPoint but are in your Bible He rips and tears at anything good around him. It's just embarrassment for him to be around good things, so he tries to destroy it. He trashes anyone or anything that gets in his way. He loves himself. He mocks mocks our God, and he will not get far. God knows who his people are, and man number two can wear a mask so convincing that he is godly. But Jesus sees a lost man who hates what he loves. Okay? The point of this avoidance side is because of of where this man is at. He doesn't want anything to do with God, and they will rip things apart. 
So through going, going through this study, though, I see all this, and I see, yes, okay, man number two. We've got to watch out for men coming in and trying to steal people away and lead them astray and teach them the wrong gospel, okay? And, and, and the evidence of it is when they embody these 18 characteristics, and they have removed themselves from our normative circle of Christian fellowship because we have nothing in common. But it doesn't say not to love them at the same time, though. But one thing I saw going through this passage is where are the godly men who stand up to this? Okay, where are the godly men passionately pursuing the Savior who are protecting their families from cowards who try to lead their family away? We're the godly men who come along the side of younger men who call sin, sin, and encourage godly behavior, all the while being able to acknowledge their own sin. We're the godly men who are protecting women from abusive men, who are loving their wives and treating them like the jewel they are. We're the godly men who give themselves to their wives and families like Christ gave himself to the church, who raises their families in the fear and admonition of the Lord who are humble, patient, kind, loving, and passionate, who lovingly correct their brothers in Christ, that can be hard on both sides. Some of us have have been there. It's hard to take it, and it's hard to dish it. We're the godly men who, above all, pursue Jesus. I will say they are in this room. There are many of them in this room. In me, as a young buck, I look up to them. Um, this isn't in my notes. My dad's not here, but I'll say it. My dad is one of them. If I am half the guy my dad is, man, that would be great. I've come a long way if I get to the halfway point. Um, he just loves Jesus with everything that he is, and he loves people, and I think you guys can feel that at times. And my dad's not here. He doesn't know I'm saying this, okay? It's not in my notes. Um, he did want a recording, so maybe if they're recording it, he'll end up seeing it. He's like, film it, Brian. I'm like, Dad, I'm not filming it. So anyways... I'm not going to do that, Dad. But he would love it. I'm not going to do it. They are in this room, okay? And I shake their hands. Um, There's some that I don't even know, okay? Um, They fight battles. It is a battle to be where they're at, and they're there by the mercy of God. And praise God for them. And the second is, I'm going to tread lightly. Where are the godly women, okay? Where are the godly women who come along the side of young women who think they're unable to accept, accept the loving forgiveness of Jesus Christ that only he can offer. Where are the godly women who are unmarried and secure in the hands of God? Who are the young women who are serving the Lord in their church, who are reading their Bibles, who are going to Bible studies, who are even leading Bible studies? Where are the godly women who are fleeing and running like there is no tomorrow away from gossip, the slander that destroys people? Where are the godly women who are loving and respecting their husbands? who are raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, who show patience, kindness, mercy, joy, and love. I would say they're in here also. And I work along the side of some of them in ministry and watch them do amazing things. And I even watch them come alongside my wife, and she doesn't know I'm saying this, come alongside my wife. And that means everything to me. Um, We're new parents. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We're trying and uh, our parents did a pretty good job, so we're trying to, you know, we learned from that. We learned from you guys. Um, also, the encouragement you guys offer Emily, and you uh, older guys offer me, you know. 
Um, we're just trying to figure things out. We read the Bible. We try to learn from there. We have you guys as examples, and we love it. And you know what? Praise God for you women who come along beside these younger women. Praise God for you guys. Okay, and lastly, something I will kind of close with. Um, how do we fall into being susceptible to these 18 sins that are in your Bible, not on the PowerPoint? Like, what happens? You ever in that place where, like, how did I even get here? What am I doing? How do we get into a place like this? And I will argue that it is from misplaced love, the title of the sermon. I think at the root of this, when we start putting our love, our ultimate love, in something other than Jesus, we are in danger. And it is very easy because our world we live in loves to love ourselves and make you feel special and that you deserve all these other things. It is a battle that we will always fight. It's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. And by misplaced love makes us very susceptible to these. The first command is to love God. And the second, which I would also argue is almost inseparable from the first, is to love other people. There's a love that God commands us to have primarily on him. And out of that love, out of my love for God, I can love my wife the way I'm supposed to. Out of my love for God, I can love these youth who drive me bonkers sometimes. Okay? And out of my love for God, I can love people who rip me apart sometimes. And it happens to all of us. I know sometimes as pastors, we get a little bogged down uh, because we feel like nobody likes us. <laughs> But out of my love for God first, I can appropriately love other things and even buy a car, even buy a trailer that has mold in it, but it's all I can afford. <laughs> out of my love for God first, I can do these other things and I won't be as susceptible to the, to the sin. So, okay, in finality, okay, I know I teased you with a lastly word, but this is actually the last part here. I would challenge you guys to do two things. One is, obviously, from this message, hopefully you've already gathered, to put your complete love and devotion in Jesus, and it's not natural. Okay? It's not, you're not going to flow along with the grain of the wood putting your love in Jesus first. You're going to hit some road bumps. People are ask you funny questions. Um, you might lose some friends because you're not participating in the same thing. And I'm not talking about the youth losing friends. They will. They go through them like candy. Um, but I'm talking about all of us. We will lose friendships if we truly pursue Christ versus when we haven't. It's going to happen. So it's a battle, but putting our complete love and devotion to Jesus is something that I encourage our church to be doing today. <laughs> the second thing, godly men and godly women, continue to stand strong, please, because we need you. And as you stand strong and move forward, drag a couple of us with you. <laughs> okay, maybe take a couple of us under your wing um, and drag them forward. I know that I deal, I work with a lot of these kids who I love to death, and, uh, and some of them would definitely benefit from somebody taking some initiative in their life. Okay, and it's a challenge too, okay, because I am only like 20-something, and uh, I feel that I don't even really understand what's going through their minds anymore. I was just there, but uh, um, if you can, if you have that ability, that gifting, that would be great. Drag some of us with you. Continue to stand strong. And here's a personal note from me, um, just from my young life that has very little experience in anything, really, compared to some of you. But if we always wait for the person next to us to take the first step, all of us will forever be in a stalemate. 
Somebody needs to take the first step. We cannot always wait on our spouse or our friend at work or the person that we sit with at church. We have to take that step. Our relationship primarily is with Jesus and what Jesus commands us and not the bar that is set by the people around us. And uh, my prayer this week has been that the Holy Spirit convicts all of our hearts on things that we're beginning to love out of turn. Um, that conviction can take weeks for us to deal with sometimes. Um, I know I have dealt with that a lot. Um, I am a young guy who desires youthful passions. Bob talked about it last week. Um, I'm impatient sometimes. Um, I, I fall in love with these other things. Um, I don't look long-term sometimes. Um, and so I will fall susceptible to that. And I've been praying this week that God will convict our hearts. And I apologize if he does, <laughs> but it'll, it'll be good. Okay. And the last thing, I just want to kind of tag off of Bob's message last week because I was blown away. When he came up here with that clear bowl that he just washed, I was like, wow, that was smart. He's also my boss. I'm giving him brownie points right now. Okay. <laughs> what he did, obviously, he went in the back room there and turned on the water, got it to hot, and scrubbed the thing and cleaned it. And he came up here and he told us that sins can be forgiven. The majority of us are man or woman number one, okay? We, uh, in the sense of that we see sin, and whether it takes us a long time or a little time, when we see it, we repent. And that is a godly way to respond to sin. We're all going to be dealing with that. He comes up, he says, this bowl was meant for something really nice. But we've made it something it can't be. But it can be cleaned and used again for the purpose it was created. And it took hot water and scrubbing. And I've been thinking about that all week, darn it, Bob. Because it's so true. It's not easy. It hurts. And, uh, and it's tough. And sometimes people see us not in such a glorious state sometimes. But that bowl, it takes hot water and scrubbing and, and some intentionality at it. Um, so as much as that's a hard process, I would encourage us to be praying um, for God to convict our hearts on things that are eking into our lives that steal our love from God. And then also, the godly men, godly women, please keep going. Drag us with you. Take the first step. Pray for the Holy Spirit to convict your hearts. And then also, don't be afraid of the hot water and scrubbing. Let's pray. God, we do love you. Um, It seems all too often that we're constantly being pulled away by different things all around us. It'd be so nice sometimes to live on an island somewhere, maybe preferably with clear, warm water. But, Lord, just to get away from everything. Um, but, Lord, you, uh, you tell us to uh, begin to live um, among the people but not uh, like the world. And, Lord, that is where we, ha- where we are, and it is a difficult challenge sometimes. Lord, I pray that you will convict our hearts of things stealing love away from you. As hard as it is, Lord, I know, I know that it is where you want us and how we're designed. Lord, I pray that as sin enters our lives, that we would pound at the heaven's gates for repentance, Lord, because you are faithful to give it, and you are loving and want to give it, Lord. And I pray that we would, uh, we would get on our knees and pray to you for that, men and women alike, Lord. God, I pray that, uh, that this message will sink into people's hearts, not because I said it, but it's because it's in your word. Lord, we do love you as much as we are at fault for at times, not as much as we should, Lord. Help us correct that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.